Hello everyone, welcome back to Unraveling Impulse. My name is Nisa and it's been a minute. Um, I hope you are all healthy, safe, and sane. It seems like it's hard to be all three of those things all at once these days, but you know, we do what we can, we, we try, um, despite the, the fact that the world is a dumpster fire. <laughs> Um, it's been a intense-ish couple of weeks for me. Um, I don't know. Is intense the right word to use? There's just been a lot happening. There's, there's, there's things that are sort of moving along in the direction that I'm, I'm happy about. Um, but at the same time, it's taking a long time for certain things to unfold. So I've had to exercise a lot of patience, um, and just really, really letting go. Um, but having said that, uh, you know, life still goes on. I am still working a full-time job. I'm still a mom. (laughs) So I'm trying to balance the things that are sort of happening that I don't have control over that are in the background as well as the things that I have absolute control over and have things that have to get done um and it can be mentally exhaust it can be mentally exhausting um the juggle and in addition to that just sort of trying not to take on the world's issues <laughs> um you know countries are at war um the pandemic is still raging despite the fact that people seem to think that it's disappeared the government at least here in ontario feels like it's abandoned us <laughs> um and i personally feel anxiety around all of those things like they do deeply affect me i feel like as soon as you start to to breathe a little and feel like okay like we're moving over this obstacle and this hump something else is thrown at you and it's just really disappointing when your own government doesn't protect you um I'll say that And you sort of are left to make these decisions on your own. And when you're a parent on top of that, making decisions that are best for your child. So to ensure they stay as safe as possible, it's, I personally find it to be um, very draining. And so navigating all of these things is, yeah, um, it's difficult for me to do that and also focus on creating content for my hobby, (laughs) which is this podcast. Um, and honestly, sometimes it's like, I just don't have the words, you know, there are no words, there are no words coming, even in terms of my writing. It's like, I've just honestly sit in front of a blank page half the time, (laughs) um, and just stare at it. It seems like others have better ways of expressing the things I'm feeling, which I've always felt, but especially lately, I just, I can't find the words. Um, but you know, I'm still journaling. Um, I'm, I, I still do that, but 
Yeah, it's just, you know, I think when it comes to things like um, creating content, which I don't know how I feel about that term, but anyway, for me, like I said, I, I approach this as more of a hobby than a job. <laughs> and so even though I still think that there is a level of consistency required, even with hobbies, that is just good to sort of develop yourself and your skill and all that stuff. Um, I'm still human. And so I have gotten better at just sort of allowing myself that grace when I need it, because there's a lot happening. And I, I think that we trying to function as if it's not happening is doesn't is does myself a disservice it just you know makes me feel worse so sometimes you just have to stop acknowledge that it's happening acknowledge that things are you know things have been heavy for a while they'll continue to be heavy um and you do what the best you can to navigate that. And that's what I'm doing. Um, it's not all heaviness. Uh, there are, (laughs) there are many good things as well. Um, and I think I'm in a place where it's a strange feeling when you have, when you are witnessing so much like death and, you know, divisiveness amongst people and hate and even in my own personal life going through the challenges of, you know, being on my own, um, being a single mother, going through divorce, all of those things, but simultaneously feeling kind of hopeful and that things are starting to sort of move along and, you know, you you are managing both emotion you are managing emotion these simultaneous emotions of like positive and negative and sweet and sour and um light and heavy and it's can be strange you know it can be like weird and makes you feel strange and like you don't know what to do with yourself so in all transparency, that's that's just how it's been for me. Um, that's how it's been for a couple of years now, like at least the last two years. And maybe it'll continue being like that until it's not like that so much anymore. I think our lives go through these cycles um, and we go through different periods, all of us. And that's just the period that I'm in right now. Um, so if... I come on here and, and that's what I'm talking about. That's that that's just it is what it is, you know? Um so anyway, having said that, uh let's jump in. I honestly didn't know what I wanted to talk about today, as always. I feel like every time I try to do one of these things, it's like, mm, I don't know what to say. Um sometimes, you know, as I've mentioned before, like I'll have a topic in my head but then when I go to record I just don't want to talk about it you know and um I've had a couple I've had a few topics in the back of my mind that I'm like yeah I should cover this but I just don't feel like talking about them (laughs) to be honest you know so um 
I actually ended up going through some of my old, some old stuff that I'd written, like these, I don't know if you want to call them essays or what, but just old things that I had written about a couple of years ago. And I came across this one um, where I'm talking about my history with like race and racism and all this stuff. And I don't know. I think I'm going to share it. You know, um, you know, part of this podcast journey is also just like me documenting things for my daughter with the hopes that one day she will listen to the things that I've recorded and um, see the full humanity of her mom and all my dimensions and maybe some of it resonates with her. And so I thought I would like share this part of myself so that one day she'll actually, this is more for her than for anybody else. But um, yeah, I'm going to talk about my history and experience and all that stuff with racism and anti-blackness and existing as a black woman in Canada and growing up and all that stuff from this is this is very personal it's not um in any way a reflection of the experiences of all black people who grew up or who have lived in Canada although I am quite certain that a number of black people who who happen to listen to this or who don't will have experienced very similar things. Um, But again, that doesn't mean that all have. So, you know, when you listen to stories of marginalized groups of people, it's important to keep in mind that we all have unique experiences. Some Some of our experiences are shared and some aren't. And so I don't speak for the entire Black community in Canada. Like... Let's uh, make that clear. Um, So yeah, let's jump in. So I I might partially be reading and then I might kind of like veer off and just kind of go into my own thoughts on stuff um, because I'm kind of going through this old essay thing that I wrote. Um, I never shared it, by the way, like um, I never shared it on my old blog or anything. This is just something that I kind of, it's because I just didn't like how it came out either, but I'm looking back at it now and I'm kind of like, yeah, the the thoughts were honest, so why not? So I might read part of parts of the essay and then kind of veer off and share some of my own um, you know, more in-depth thought on whatever it is that I wrote in this this essay. So I started off this essay talking about how I always felt deeply troubled by the oppression of other humans. Um, I've always been particularly interested and concerned with racism and to an extent sexism too, but racism in particular was always something that I was bothered by. And that's because before I recall experiencing sexism, I absolutely remember the first racist experience I've had, um, I, well, I don't even know if it was the first, but I definitely remember pretty much most racist experiences that I've been through, and there have been quite a few. I remember most of them. 
Um, whereas like the experiences of sexism, they're there, but they don't stand out in the same way. Um, so yeah, do with that what you want. I don't know, but that's, that's just what it is. Um, and I'd venture to say that a lot of black women feel the same. And I think that part of the reason why black women, many black women, not all, but many black women have struggled to connect with the feminist movement is because um, it doesn't really do intersectionality well. And when I say intersectionality, I mean, you know, our experiences aren't just as women, they're also as people of color, people who have disabilities, people who identify as um, non-binary, people who are part of the LGBTQIA plus community, and on and on. Um, and I think that um, as a Black woman in particular, it's been difficult to connect with the feminist movement because there's been such a dismissive way that white feminists in particular have dealt with our unique experiences as black women. Um, and I'll get into that a little bit more further down, but yeah, um, I always felt a deep, um, concern and anger towards like racism first and foremost when I was young um and it was always important to me to feel represented and understood like and I think that desire stemmed from not being represented or understood it just always felt like all these judgments and assumptions about who I was were made based solely on the color of my skin and the texture of my hair um, and not on who I actually was as a person. Um, and that was just in like social settings growing up. And then I think in terms of just being able to access materials or see myself or see people who looked like me growing up, it was always a struggle. Um, I think I've, I don't know if I've spoken about this before, but, you know, I was heavily into books when I was growing up. Um, and I honestly don't remember reading books where there were characters who looked like me in the books, <laughs> um, or just black people, or even just hell, like indigenous people, Asians, like anyone who was not white, like my books were always and I love those books. And I, um, for the record, this isn't and I've, it annoys me that I even have to say this, and I probably shouldn't. But like, me saying these things doesn't mean that like, I don't want to read books written by white people and that have white characters in them. I, sh I don't feel like I should have to say that. But I will say that, you know, like me saying these things doesn't disparage or, um, you know, not acknowledge the fact that there were great books out there that happened to be by white writers and happened to, uh, you know, include 
white characters. Like my some of my favorite books growing up were by white authors and were only with white characters. That's just how it was. But that doesn't negate the fact that it sucked at the same time because it would have been nice to have those books be representative of who of me um and it's funny because now my daughter she's getting into chapter books and I want her to read some of the book series that I used to read growing up which happened to be white <laughs> like by written by white authors and most of the character well all of the characters are white so um I try to counter that, and we do. I have introduced her, like, for instance, I used to love the Ramona series by Beverly Creary. Um, and so we're reading that series right now. Um, but, you know, Ramona was hella white, so, so there's just, there's no representation. Um, and so I've sort of had to counter that by making sure that like other book series that she reads do have black characters in them or other racialized people in them because that's very important to me for her to have that balance I didn't I didn't have that balance when I was growing up and a lot of it was because we just didn't have access to black books written by black authors chapter book series written by black authors if they were around, they were likely in the U.S. They weren't necessarily here in Canada. So, you know, um, but yeah, it wasn't really until I was maybe 12 or so that I started to actively find more books that were representative of myself and that were written by other black people. Um, so, yeah. And to be honest, those books were actually more adult books. They weren't really like teen books per se. They were actually just adult authors writing about adult topics. But it's just like that's what that's what was available to me. So I started to gravitate more towards those authors as I became a preteen and teen. But the content wasn't necessarily appropriate for me. Um, but yeah, so, you know, representation was something that I was always really important to me, um, especially in, in reading material like magazines, books, um, TV to an extent. Although, um, you know, like I think TV wasn't too bad at that time, like especially American television. We had more black representation on TV and especially like moving into the 90s, like the majority of shows that I used to watch um, – were black <laughs> like Martin living single um there was a different world the Cosby show we kind of had those um so it didn't feel so you know underrepresented but I definitely feel like in terms of the reading material realm um there was a lack of representation there um and yeah, that always irritated me and bothered me. But I, you know, when you're young, you don't know how to vocalize or any of this stuff. You just know that there's some, something doesn't feel right. And um, you don't know what, how to say it or what the issue is, because it's sort of like people 
would approach that stuff was like, oh, well, it doesn't matter that the character's white. What matters is the the content, what the story, like, it's still relatable. And it's like, yeah, to a point, but after a while, when you consume, when the majority of what you consume is written by, like, white people or produced by white people or acted out by white people, the characters all, are all white, you begin to think that that's the default for everything and um there are no other perspectives that are considered and yes there is con there are things that are universally just human experiences that we all go through and so that is relatable but there are also things that are just unique to certain groups of people and it would be nice to have those things you know written about and um, available for young women to access or young people to access. So, um, yeah, I was always bothered by that. Um, as far back as high school, whenever we were allowed to choose our own topic of interest, I would always write about black people. Like, <laughs> I'm just laughing because I remember um, in grade 11, we, I took a course in American history, and one of the presentations we had to do, we had to present on an American public figure of great influence, and um, I was obsessed with Maya Angelou, like, so I first got, I first heard of Maya Angelou when I was 12, and my aunt, um, she had for Christmas, she gave me like the entire collection of Maya Angelou books. So it was her autobiography, I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings, and then her book of poetry. And then she had this other follow-up book that I don't remember the name of, but it was a follow-up to, it was like her, a second memoir, essentially. And I remember like looking at the books being like, what is this? Like, <laughs> like I had no interest. I mean, uh, you know, I was into the babysitter's club and um nancy drew and like i don't know what else i was into back then but you know the popular stuff that all the other kids were into and so like the this maya angelou series of books was just like huh and um i remember one summer i had nothing else to read i had run out of books and um I was like, fine, let me see what this is about. And I picked up uh, I Know Why the Cage Bird Sings. And it was just, it completely rocked my world. Like, to this day, it is one of my all-time favorite pieces of literature. Um, Maya Angelou is, like, one of my favorite writers. I mean, she's so many things, but she is one of my favorite storytellers and writers. And she's just so prolific, profound, like, I mean, I just, I can't say enough about her and the influence she's had on even me in terms of expressing my thoughts and feelings on paper and writing poems. I was actually really into poetry writing when I was a teenager, and a lot of that was because of the poetry she wrote, and, you know, if you've ever read um, I know why the cage bird sings. It's such a beautiful and sad and just a story of so many th things, but the way she wrote it was so profound yet so 
simple and relatable and it's one of those books I just genuinely feel anybody can read and connect with in some way and you know it's not easy to write such profound emotion and make it so accessible to everybody and I honestly feel like that was the type of writer that Maya Angelou was and that's I mean, uh, I would love <laughs> to to be like half as good as, as she is in terms of the way that she's able to just express emotion on paper in such a clear, you know, accessible way. Um, I don't know how else to, to verbalize that. But yeah, anyways, obsessed. And so when I... Um, we had this opportunity in grade 11 American history to write about this American, great American public figure. Uh, Maya Angelou was not on the list. (laughs) Um, But I asked the teacher, you know, like, can I write about Maya? Can I do my, you know, presentation on Maya Angelou? And he said, sure. So, um, like, nobody in the class knew who the heck she was, Um, you know. I think she's become more popular over time, but certainly wasn't super popular um, during that time. Um, Some people would have known about her. Mostly it would have been other black people or, I guess, adults. Um, So I did this whole presentation on Maya Angelou and I got kind of heckled by some white classmates too, by the way. But I was just so proud of that presentation and I was so excited to be able to present and introduce people who didn't know about her to the class. So that was like my first foray (laughs) into like at any point in my academic life where I get to talk about black people oh I absolutely will so that was my first like um dipping my toe into that um and it was my way of I guess pushing back against the norm of like there just not being an inclusive approach to teaching and to academia in general um it was like I had to be the one who accessed this knowledge and shared it with people and with myself or else I wouldn't get that I wouldn't have gotten that from the schools I went to including university it was a bit better in university and I'll get into that but you know um as a black kid growing up in suburban Canada, in Mississauga, you know, outside of Toronto. And quite frankly, I'm pretty sure even going to schools in Toronto, like, I don't think it would have been much different where the literature, the the historical figures, the way history is presented, all of it is very much through the lens of whiteness. And so unless you were going out of your way to find black people in history (laughs) um or you know to to read about you would never get it in school and so that's what I realized I would have to do if I were to really be able to feel connected to other people who look like me um and so that's why 
I am so, you know, it's so important to me that with Nealon, with my daughter, she, she, she has that connection early on. And, um, you know, if she isn't getting it through school, which she, she doesn't, you know, they, they don't do that great of a job. So I have to fill in those gaps, but at least I'm there to fill in the gaps and I'm happy to do that. And even though she may not fully appreciate it now, I, I think she will as she gets older. And so, um, yeah, I'm, I'm very much, um, you know, I think, I think just growing up where I just didn't have access to information and education about people who looked like me. Um, and I had to go and find it myself and bring it into a classroom to show (laughs) other people, including teachers. It, um, it definitely made a mark. And I, I knew that in any academic setting that I went, I moved into, I would always do the same thing. Um, and it was, I guess, my small way of pushing back and in a way, letting people know we are here in all our dimensions. So, yeah. Um, what else? Um, when I, moving into university wasn't when I was applying to university, um, I, Initially applied to do uh, my undergrad. I majored in politics in first year, and I took like you know you can take um, elective courses, and I ended up taking a course in women's studies, not knowing that like I would end up at the time I end uh, would end up switching to major in women's studies instead. Um, I took women's studies as an elective because I was just fascinated (laughs) by the fact that it was called women's studies. Like, what? A whole course about women? Like, excuse me? I mean, I honestly, I had never been exposed to the feminist movement or what it meant or anything um, to do with it. If anything, the most I may have heard was that there was... Feminism was about women who liked to burn bras and it was very much like white women who were like burning bras and I don't know, like just all these stereotypes, right? Um, And I just was fascinated by like an entire academic study around women. Like (laughs) I want to know more, you know? So I took it just out of sheer curiosity um, and I remember – my first year class, uh, that elective class, I was taught by an indigenous woman. And um, the class, <laughs> the class was mostly white. So the university I went to was a predominantly white university. There weren't many people who looked like me who went there. There was a small community of black people very very small and we generally speaking um like knew each other and kind of like we formed a club uh it was a cultural club um in order to sort of you know commiserate and have relief from the white people (laughs) essentially 
Um, but yeah, you know, the women's studies course, like, you know, in first year, your classes are humongous and you sit in the big lecture halls, yada, yada. And I just remember that, that one of the classes I went to, um, sitting in this big lecture hall with a bunch of, uh, you know, white girls around me, I was the only black person in that class and this indigenous, oh, well, me and the indigenous teacher, uh, indigenous prof. And we started to talk about race. Like we started to talk about Peggy Macintosh's, um, you know, unpacking the invisible knapsack. That's the first time I had ever heard of Peggy Macintosh and the whole, you know, what unpacking the invisible knapsack meant, backpack meant and, and the whole thing. And Peggy Macintosh was actually... I think she was really one of the first who kind of pioneered the whole thing of like privilege and and white privilege. Um, And now we use the word privilege like, you know, it's just, it's a common word that we use now when we talk about our status in society. And many of us can sort of acknowledge that we have privileges, but back then, People were pressed, like people, oh my goodness. I remember when we, we started to study um, that that essay and, you know, our professor, who is an indigenous woman, delivering this lecture on white privilege. Like you can only imagine the anger in which she was met with by the white students And I was just sitting there like loving every fucking second of it because it was the first time in my entire life when it comes to race that I felt seen. And it was the first time that I felt like, wow, I'm not the only one who's experiencing this. Like this is actually, this is beyond like my individual experience. Like this shit is like, widespread it's systemic like you know um I didn't understand any of that and I women's studies really opened up a world of understanding humanity in a way that I didn't understand it before and it helped me understand myself um and my experiences as well as um you know the system at large. And while feminism is not perfect, I think that there is a lot about the feminist movement that is not inclusive of black women and other marginalized groups. Um, It at the time was the closest thing that to understanding humanity if that makes sense because it really touched on the injustices of all humans like women's studies was the first time I was introduced to black women theorists and authors who were talking about racism and sexism and the intersection of those two things you know um bell hooks audra lord um uh uh T- uh, not Toni Morrison, although yes, but I was reading Toni Morrison before um, before this class, but um, I can't remember other names now. But all to say um, that I was introduced to so many 
women of color and black women uh, writers and essayists and theorists and academics who were talking about this type of intersection and who really helped me understand understand the system at large and um, also my individual experience in, in living as a black woman. And it was honestly, truly, um, by, I think it was second or third year, I had switched from politics being my major to women's studies because I just, I loved it so much. Um, I still did a minor in politics, but uh, women's studies really just resonated deeply with me um, for the reason of, again, I felt like it came really close to encompassing um, an understanding of like all facets of of human beings, not just women. But um, there was also something about the way in which my professors taught women's studies that I really enjoyed. Um, Even though it was obviously an uh, academic study, um, my professors, I don't know if it was just them or if this is just on a whole how women's studies professors at the time it was, I think now they call it gender studies, but at the time we called it women's studies. So, um, but you know, I, I don't know if it was just the professors I had or if it was women's studies professors in general, but they really embraced, um, as much as they could kind of, even if I wanted to use first person in my essays, they would be like, it's fine to use first person in this essay. Like there was just more room to express outside of the rigid ways in which you were, you were expected to write as an academic, if that makes sense. Um, it was still rigid, but less so than other, other, um, you know, studies. Uh, and it just, that felt super relatable to me because, um, I've always sort of felt a, I've always sort of had like a strange relationship with academia, um, (laughs) in that, like, I could never understand, especially in courses like politics. I mean, I get, I get that politics is, you know, it's policy and it's, and it's very much, there's a science to it and whatever. But at the end of the day, these things are really about people. And I never understood how like, you know, topics about humanity used language that was so far removed from the everyday person. Um, And it always irritated me. Like, why do I have to sound like a thesaurus in order for my points to be seen as intelligent or valid? You are talking about everyday people and everyday experiences at this high level um, that is not at all relatable to the everyday person, you know, and... I've always sort of been at odds with that in a lot of ways with academia, which that's a whole other topic. But anyway, that's just to say that like, that's another reason why I kind of fell in love with women's studies, because it was a course in humanities that really allowed 
a little bit more for humanity <laughs> and for accessibility and for um and for those things to coexist uh whereas you know other other streams of study not so much um and so i felt really comfortable in 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 my women's studies bag <laughs> and I got made fun of for it you know like oh it's what was at the time it used to be called I don't know if people still refer to it as uh, basket weaving um you know like these courses are fluff essentially like they don't they don't really what is this what is how is this contributing to society like they're not important enough they're just these fluffy topics and you know um what I will say is that a, a, a stream of study, an academic study, doesn't have to be inherently difficult for it to be valid and for it to be important and for it to be necessary. It's so funny to me because we we are living in a society now where we discuss humanity to you know, all the time. Like, especially if you're on social media, like we're always discussing humanity. But so many people are so ignorant and lack so much understanding of the the nuance and the 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 dimension and scope of humanity that it's alarming. And I feel good about the fact that like at least I have read my one, two books. You know what I mean? Like at least I, at least I have some understanding because of my women's studies <laughs> courses. You know what I mean? And, you know, I don't say this to say, oh, I'm better than someone else who hasn't, but it's just like to put down, I also wasn't put, I don't, also don't put down other forms of academia. You know what I mean? Like it's all important it's all relevant, it's all necessary, and, um, you know, I, um, I had to deal with a lot of, a lot of jokes, and like, you know, oh, you're being brainwashed, (laughs) what? Okay, um, but yeah, so, you know, um, women's studies was really, really key for me in, uh, understanding where I stood on the spectrum of like marginalized groups of people and understanding my own, uh, just having a better understanding of my own experiences and feeling like, again, I was, I was seen, um, through the writings of these black feminist, uh, writers. Um, and so, yeah, I really treasure, that time in my life that allowed for that. Um, And um, yeah, the other thing too I'll say is that when I was in undergrad, I also only wrote essays on black people. (laughs) So like, again, I would always find ways. Um, So the university I went to was predominantly white university pretty much all my te- I think all my profs were white except for the one indigenous prof that I had um and so even in those spaces like I would always like um infuse 
blackness into whatever the thing is that we were we had to write about. I always wrote from a black perspective. Um, and yeah, and same thing when I did my master's degree. Like I wrote my final research paper on, you know, uh, employment equity within the Ontario government at the executive and management levels and specifically about anti-black um, uh, racism and equity within those within the Ontario um, government, and um, yeah, it has always been something that you know it was. It's just always been my own way of again bringing what 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 wasn't available to me to um, an educational space and, um, sort of allowing for voices to be heard through me. So I think I'm going to end it there. Um, I'm going to do, I'm going to continue with this topic and move into a part two. I'm going to break it up. Um, and, um, continue talking about my experiences as a black person in Canada and my history and uh, how I see myself today. So stay tuned. Bye.